The Grassroots Network summer podcast series has been generously underwritten by Turnkey Vacation Rentals. Turnkey Vacation Rentals is the first truly owner-centric vacation rental service now available in the Roaring Fork Valley. We handle all of your short-term rental property management needs, offering superior service and high returns. Turnkey's straightforward pricing and transparent business model make it easier for you to earn revenue from your rental. Proprietary technology provides a smoother, more efficient experience for both travelers and vacation rental owners. Trustworthy, local staff provides support around the clock with true full-service property management for homeowners and their guests. For more information on Turnkey Vacation Rentals, contact Mark Viola at mark.viola at turnkeyvr.com or call at 970-368-4288. Turnkey Vacation Rentals supports the Grassroots Network in your community. Hi, I'm Heidi Zuckerman, and this is Art Matters, the Aspen Art Museum's program on art here in the Roaring Fork Valley and around the globe. Today, my guest is Julian Schnabel. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. So you were here on the occasion of a public lecture in advance of coming back for a solo exhibition in November, and I'm really glad to be able to have you here in multiple seasons. I'm happy to be here in multiple seasons, too. It's nice to see green and... Uh, the difference in the landscape is it's very yeah so it's we both win <laughs> so i want to start off by talking about your painting practice in general and then later we will look at some of the paintings that we'll have at the aspen art museum in the fall okay so i actually wanted to start with a kind of broader question you gave a talk last night and started showing some paintings that were done in the 70s and then you also made reference to some works that had been done even in the last week or two. Um, and I was thinking about that kind of 40 year span and how prolific you've been as a painter and also writing books and making movies and having kids. And I was thinking, you know, where you are in your life, what do you look at as some of the things that you're most proud of? Uh, that's funny because I was th thought you were gonna ask me what are the things that you like to look at now? You can answer that too. Okay. Uh, I'd like things to be nice and simple. More simple now. I mean, I went to the Giotto Chapel in Padova uh, two months ago. And I'd been there before. But um, I just wanted to go and look at those paintings and just have the experience of being in that room, which I've visited maybe 10 times over the since 1977 but to think about what Giotto was doing and how he painted this chapel and the amount of work that was in, and just that you're in just to stand in that place and also uh, was in a waterfall the other day in Jamaica and just walk through this sort of muddy path towards a place where you could uh, jump off of a little cliff. And we're just looking at a tree. I was looking at a tree over here, walking over here. There's some great trees here. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think focusing on things that are um, 
William Carlos Williams said, the truth is in things. So I keep noticing stuff, and it's everything always seems like it's the... Um, I always think it, if this was the last moment of my life, I'd like to... What would I want to do with it? And so I try not to waste too much time and usually do what, what I want to do. But... Uh, I like to paint, and so I do that mostly. I mean, as an art practice, I paint more than I do other things. I end up having to write things sometimes or I'm working on a few different things, uh, and that's always stimulating also. I mean, I'm working on a script with Jean-Claude Carrier about Van Gogh, and sometimes it's more about Jean-Claude Carrier and his life in Colombier as a child and... Um, I just want to be awake, and I want to notice everything that's happening when it's happening. I don't want to miss anything, because the simplest things are very profound and, and very uh, in those things. You can find the seeds for things that end up being in the paintings that become most memorable, things that you're connected to, things that last a long time, that give birth to other objects, other paintings, and so... It's kind of like that. I think a lot about this idea of truth and um, and have argued sort of against the idea of relative truth mm-hmm. and argued about the fact that truth is, is a thing. Um, and it's... Uh, so the idea of finding truth in things is interesting also. But what do you think about truth versus relative truth? Well, first of all, I think... The opposite of truth is reason. Because once you start to try to explain it or paraphrase it or interpret it, it's not the same thing. So there is an eidetic quality to things that I think are the most profound. And uh, that's why it's so interesting to look at painting. That's why it's so interesting to look at the way Goya might put a markdown and you just can go back and check that and look at that and uh, I think also that's probably why painting was more attractive to me or drew me in rather than say performance art or something that was uh, or something that where you couldn't check the blue or you couldn't just stop everything and it was different. If you even stopped it from something that was moving, it would still be different because it would mean something else. And then obviously at a certain moment I made some movies and that was another part of my brain that uh, had a, it has a different kind of temporality. But um, when you find something that can't be reduced and it, it embodies everything that you hope it would, uh, it's a very satisfying thing. Sometimes, or when I was younger, I would have to build that surface in order to do that, to get there. Later, I was able to find other ways of doing it, but the only way you really learn how to do that is being involved in the practice of making things and deal with the chronology of objects. I think that's true. So when you talk about something that can't be, like, so, you know, when you get to the essence of something, right, so something that can't be reduced, so we know that that can't, we can find that in art, and that's you know one of the things that draws us to objects. Do you mm. think can it, it can exist in other things? Like, do you think it can exist in an emotion? 
Yes, it's just incomprehensible. <laughs> but it does exist. You can feel it. It's hard to name, though. Right. But that's one of the things we're looking for, right? And that's part of what comes from this notion of trying to be awake, too. Well, the thing is that it's a field. Life is a field. We are the observers of the field. I'm not even saying that we, under, saying that we understand the field. We just come into contact with the field and digest it. So the painting is dead until somebody walks in front of it and it gets turned on. At that moment, it's obviously different for you, different for me. Everybody's a prisoner of their own subjectivity. But there's something about um, the fact that it is what it is, and then you, it can become whatever it is to you. I mean, we were talking about, uh, you were talking to me about um, Richard Tuttle yesterday, and he said essentially that all art was invisible, right. which is true. I mean, for all the materiality that is in something, it's a thing that you walk away with, that you carry with you, that has changed you, that's part of your molecules, that you've digested somehow, that is the art. So these are just tools, to, like utilitarian tools, in fact, to kind of get to that place. So interesting. I mean... As you know, I'm looking at this picture of a, a painting. Of my, is that nobody else has seen that except me? Is that correct at the moment? Yeah, but they can see it now. They can bring mm. it up on the screen. Because, uh, you know, what was the necessity to do that? Why would somebody do that? There's definitely, I mean, if you tried to find a reason to explain it, or if somebody said, why'd you do that? You'd be lying to them. Cause because you don't know. You make it up as you go along. It might be true today, but I made that painting. Um, this is the patients and the doctors. I don't know if the audience is seeing it now, but it was yeah. the first plate painting. And uh, I was looking for another kind of surface that could be on a painting. And, um, and Heidi and I were talking before the show started, and she was pointing out, I mean, in, some, in, in many works of mine, I use white, and white is, uh, is one part of my itinerary of... Gestures. Okay, yes, gestures is a good word. Uh, so I took the plates and glued them on this wooden armature, um, and, well, I broke them with a hammer, and I wanted them to be breaking as much as that they were congealing and so uh and i also wanted it to look like i didn't do it that it just was like that happenstance so there there's no it doesn't seem contrived it just mm -hmm. seems like there's a bunch of like junk like there's a bunch of broken dishes there and then um if you think of art that existed in the 60s um or even in the 50s, if you think of abstract expressionists, they would sort of find uh, their irreducible image and they would make that. So, okay, guy's going to make drips, and that's the way he's going to make it. One drip painting is going to look this way, another one that way. His name was Jackson Pollock. Uh, then there is, then it could have been, oh, this is a guy, he breaks plates, puts plates there. But that's not really what I was, uh, I wanted to be or I wanted the painting to be. Uh, and so what I did once I 
covered the surface like that, I wanted to paint on top of those things. And I liked the notion that the, the, dis, the disparity between the white plates and, and the color of the auto body putty, it's Bondo, that you fix cars with, that was the surface. And then drew kind of a diagrammatical, it looked sort of like uh, if you had a biological, close-up of a biological diagram, like the trachea of the alder fly, or some other uh, conical shapes, or things that were... It's funny because I hadn't seen the Stations of the Cross by Matisse at the time when I made this painting. And if I would have seen those white tiles where he drew with black paint on top of white tiles, I probably never would have made this painting, even though they look radically different. Yeah. Uh, but So I drew on top of them, and I noticed that if I covered part of the plates with some paint, it made the surface rounder. And that uh, it wasn't enough just to stylistically just make some paintings and say, oh, this, this was a guy who had a great idea, he put plates on the painting. That, that was not particularly interesting to me. And I didn't want to make a series either. So I made one painting, and then I made a second painting, and I would cover one up when they would uh, when people would come to the studio so they would just look at one thing at a time. Would you look at more than one thing at a time when you were working? Um, when I started doing that, no. Because I wanted to just see that. And so you wanted an immediacy or a freshness? I never saw anything like that and I didn't know what it was. Right. And I thought to have two well, I'm t then you're comparing two mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Now, in 2020 retrospect, that's what we're doing. We're comparing and we're saying, oh, what does that person do with that impulse or those materials and how did that evolve or what did it become? Which is a very different uh, perspective than a young person standing there looking at something and at their wits end and thinking, well, I haven't seen this. How can I make this closer to what my impulse is? And, you know, when, and people always ask that silly question, you know, how do you know when it's done? Right. Usually it's said in some kind of a cynical way, and mm -hmm. people ask you that question now. But um, I didn't know how much drawing was supposed to be on the painting. And, uh, but when it seemed to configure into what I was hoping it might be, I thought, well, that looks like it to me. Hmm. And... Uh, I called it The Patients and the Doctors, thinking about this article, that uh, this essay that Antonin Artaud wrote about Van Gogh. Interesting enough, there was a show of Van Gogh two years ago in Paris at the Musée d'Orsay with Artaud, with Artaud drawings and the text that um, uh, Philip Loeb had a gallery and he actually, this was after Van Gogh was dead and after Artaud was dead, he took Artaud's text about madness and he combined that and he used that for the catalog of the Van Gogh show. <laughs> and what happens is now they're melded together. If you really examine the kind of madness that uh, Artaud had, it was radically different than the madness that Van Gogh had and they had different issues. But somehow it's funny how history will take things and put it together, and then time will go by, and they'll be just married, in the sense that. But anyway, it was it's it was funny that it was called that. The show was um, 
So the patients and the doctors, you know, if there are more people in the hospitals or outside, I mean, you know, who's really sick? Who's really sick? And and these it's days, really these days, you could see there's a lot of sick people out of the hospital. That is true. You know, we don't have any images of um, the paintings that have white on them, um, but I'm kind of obsessed, you know, with that um, aspect of your work. And um, we'll we'll look at another plate painting in a minute, but. Um, you know, when I first started looking at the paintings with the white, um, you know, I hadn't associated it with being kind of on top of what was there. Um, I had sort of thought about it almost as like a portal to another plane. Mm -hmm. um, and when you were discussing them last night and, and talking about how it, it actually makes the paintings more open-ended um, and leaves all this possibility there, I, I'm really kind of focused on on that notion because it's not really then about obscuring what you did before right okay but what you said is it was a portal to something else so that's different than covering something so exactly. what you're saying in a sense is not you're not really disagreeing with yourself it's just different kind of uh, uh, permutations of the possibilities mm -hmm. I mean because even if we look at this painting one mm -hmm. of these the plates are white and they really break up the disparity of uh, there's a disparity uh, that they create. With, I mean, there's a torso with one arm and the head on a on kind of a plinth there next mm -hmm. to a um, a lance. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but somehow the plates weren't enough to function as just white on those. So there's so the drawing is functioning in a sense, like the plates. But there's something about simultaneity of time that's going on in those works, in these works, in all paintings. I think they always bring you into their present. But uh, there's something that is um, really exploding while it's congealing. You're, it's still, but you're watching it, and it's kind of a conundrum in, in a way. I mean, it is what it is. It was kind of a miracle for me uh, is that to kind of find something where you keep looking at it and you go, God, I can't see, I can see exactly what it is, but I really can't put my finger on what it's actually doing. And I just think ultimately what that was is there's a, a battle between what's pictorial and what's object. And that space in between there is the area that I found a portal or something where I actually could find many different kinds of images or different kinds of paintings to make. Mm -hmm. So that seems like a pretty optimistic um, realization. Do you think it is? Not optimistic meaning um, not true, but like positive. No, I think, I think optimism, optimistic is a very good word. Um, there's a quote by Tarkovsky and where he actually says um, that, I'll paraphrase it, but um, art is a representation of life. It's different than life itself. Life itself contains death. Art, being a representation of life, excludes death. So all art is optimistic, whether the subject matter is tragic or not. And the only difference is there can be 
mediocre art or there can be, I can't remember the word, but, or like Van Gogh would have said, I did it the least bad I could do. <laughs> uh, so there, I don't think we have any of them either, but uh, you have a lot of, um, not a lot, but anyway, there, there is religious subject matter Mm. in a bunch of your work. Yeah, there's a cross in that one. Yes, there's a cross that in looks this like one. A, a lance. Let, let's let's see another painting. Um, also, actually, this is called Divan, but if you look to the right, maybe it's hard to see on television, I don't know, but there's a torso that's been flayed. It's a blue torso sitting on a plinth. Mm -hmm. So I think if you think of the painting of St. Sebastian, mm -hmm. particularly the one by Andrea Mantegna, I mean, mm -hmm. I thought about that a lot. So there's a couch on its side, on the left-hand side, and then there's this torso on the right. And I, I mean, it's funny how forms are anthropomorphic forms, things that look like life, and there's an anthropomorphic um, process of smearing and selecting these plates, actually, that have human scale. One thing about them is you eat off of them, right. you recognize that, so they've been commandeered for some other use but um but i think there's something um uh, probably i don't you know if you think of kristallnacht mm -hmm. and people breaking all this glass and throwing all of the stuff out in the street or any kind of familial violence i mean there's there's a lot of different um connotations or uh psychological uh, codes that sort of and keys that get illuminated with or I thought it they had signaled to things what is it is there another one there I'm just looking at the image just images um, there's a portrait in that one but let's keep going for a moment Let, because that painting even though there's a crucifixion in the middle of that yeah that's what I was thinking yeah uh, it's a bronze they're ebix horns and it's a, a wooden cross that I cast in bronze and there's a chain around it that hangs it off of a hole cut out of the middle of the painting. And that painting, it's 9 by 19 feet. Right. And somehow it feels like, I don't know if you've ever been at the beginning of the day on the near the sea or before light really comes up or that moment, that kind of entre chien et loup moment at night where things just kind of blend together. This painting felt to me more like it was a shadow of the world shadow of things that were outside of the painting and the white plates and that functioned like um, dappled light as if you'd just the sun was coming through some tree somewhere and um, but again uh, an irrational kind of uh, solution I think the left side of the painting reminded me of the back of a bull that had been um, Stabbed. Stabbed. That was in the middle of a, the, in a bullfight where his where this blood was sort of uh, running. But the whole painting just felt like it was bruised. Yeah, it. I mean, it's much darker than mm -hmm. a lot of the paintings, mm -hmm. uh, and it's it is called the Madan the mud in Madanza. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it, it does have a muddiness to it. Um, what is Madanza? Mudanza is a Spanish word for people or movers. Oh, Mudanzas are people okay. that move from. But I I thought the word was nice. Okay. There's one more painting here. 
Yeah, and that's the same size, made around the same time. Both of those are made in 1980. The other one was ni- 1982. I think this was in 1983. Yep. It's called the Student of Prague. Uh, my father was from Czechoslovakia. But anyway, there's a, a wood that's hanging off of this, and there's some windows cut out of that because, um, I mean, I think when um, Lucio Fontana... Mm-hmm. Uh, wanted to make uh, the Fine del Dio, and he wanted to make these. Uh, um, he wanted to change, and maybe all artists want to change the way people what people think art is, and and so he made a physical embodiment of what he thought it should be that didn't have anything to do with representation in the sense of a picture of something it was the thing mm-hmm. and I believe that I think uh, I mean that's that the, the notion that art uh, is not a representation but it is something it's just a presentation even though I said what I said before about um, that was Tarkovsky talking about making film mm-hmm. but which I think is true also but uh, for me I needed that bulk somehow. I wanted to, um, when I was a kid and I would be drawing, I felt like the the paper was too flat. And I wanted to make something that I could hold in my hand or that was, and uh, it was, um, and then once you start working with wood and doing these things, so I started making these beveled edges uh, they or different panels that came out from the wall, and just try, you start to think of how many different kind of like making music, you know, how many different variations can you make on something, and so uh, that'll be interesting to see out here because it's it's sort of a painting of being in the snow also. Yeah, a lot of crosses in it too. I just want to go back and look at oh this one because. Um, I mean, you're obviously in all of your work because mm-hmm. there's a physicality and, you know, there's the the presence or the residue of, you know, your, you as part of the creative process. Mm-hmm. But this is one of the self-portraits and there really aren't very many. Right. How come? Um, why are there many self-portraits? I, I don't know. But... Uh, I made a few, but that one, I think, is interesting because it's very obscure. The, you know, there's light hitting the side of my cheek and my eye, and the rest of it, it is in shadow. Uh, but um, it's funny when you have um, a lot of intention, and you think you know what you know. Like I could talk about the mud and mudanza a certain way, or all of the other paintings, but um, making a painting near a window, I mean, I think a lot of early paintings that I made had a window in them. Hmm. And uh, painting this in this room near this this window, um, when William Gaddis died, he wrote the recognitions. When he died, he... Uh, um, he was at the hospital and he was a very good friend of mine and he, he um, had blue, blue eyes and he came home and he had this 
terry cloth robe that was blue also. And he was lying in bed, and he was dying. Well, first he, I, I got a call from him. He said, don't worry. If you come to the hospital, I'm going, I'm going home. So uh, that's the last time I heard from him. He went home, and he was lying in bed with his blue robe, and he had a cow catcher made out of aluminum, and he was smoking the cigarettes to the end, so the coals were landing in the tinfoil. And he wrote this book, The Recognitions, and in it uh, there was a, a monkey that was sacrificed by uh, Guyan's father, Wyatt, and, and it was about an art forger, the, this, this book. It's an amazing book from, written, I think, in 1953. Anyway, he <coughs> smoked those to the end, and he looked out the window, and first of all, he said to the nurse, he said, we don't need any vacuum cleaners. And then he looked out the window and he said, you see the monkey out there? And then he leaned back and he started to conduct an, uh, conduct an orchestra and he died. And um, I don't know, I just thought about that when I saw that painting, what's going on outside the window. Certainly can't see it from on television, so maybe somebody will have to go to your exhibition and and see the painting in the flesh. But they all have to come and see the show anyway. So, um, I am just thinking about uh, what you shared today on this conversation, which happens to be on TV, mm -hmm. and um, how grateful I am for your generosity and and sharing your thoughts and sharing your work with us and how it really helps uh, contribute to an extraordinary life. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for saying all those things. And it, it wasn't very difficult. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Uh, had a lot of fun yesterday. I did too. And, um, no, and it's, you know, this Joseph Boys, uh, when he ran the Kunst Academy in Dusseldorf, he let everybody in. So it looked like the Russian Revolution there. It looked like the when Malevich and those guys. I mean, there were people on the rafters everywhere. And the notion that people were just interested in art was something that he was, where he said everybody could be an artist. And, and somehow, uh, you really don't talk about it that much. I mean, or... But at a moment where there's a bunch of people and they're curious about it, I think it, it serves something to engage and share that. It's very different than the, than, than the, the function of the art. I mean, talking is one thing, but looking at the, the stuff is really the thing. But we're alive, and art and life are incongruous, and we're not static objects, so uh, we have to do something in the meantime. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm Heidi Zuckerman. I've been speaking with Julian Schnabel, and um, I look forward to inviting you all to come and see his exhibition at the Aspen Art Museum, which opens in November. We are located on the corner of Spring and Hyman. We are open every day except for Monday, and we're always free, courtesy of the generosity of John and Amy Phelan. Every time you watch, I hope you know, as I do, that art matters. The Grassroots Network Summer Podcast Series has been generously underwritten by Turnkey Vacation Rentals. 
Turnkey Vacation Rentals is the first truly owner-centric vacation rental service now available in the Roaring Fork Valley. We handle all of your short-term rental property management needs, offering superior service and high returns. Turnkey's straightforward pricing and transparent business model make it easier for you to earn revenue from your rental. Proprietary technology provides a smoother, more efficient experience for both travelers and vacation rental owners. Trustworthy, local staff provides support around the clock with true full-service property management for homeowners and their guests. For more information on Turnkey Vacation Rentals, contact Mark Viola at mark.viola at turnkeyvr.com or call at 970-368-4288. Turnkey Vacation Rentals supports the Grassroots Network in your community.